Well, and, and this is where, you know, a lot of it is, um, you know, we don't know, I think primarily we don't know what to say sometimes. What are the words that I need to speak? You know, what are the profound things that I can, and how can, and, and us being in the kind of the profession of fixing things, how can I fix this? And you realize there's no, there's no fix to this. And, and there's no words, you know, that, that we, that are really adequate for the situation. And what is key here, and this is the great genius of chaplaincy, is to be present, just to simply be present and, and not necessarily to have the words. I'd like you to meet Gary Bennett. Gary joined the chaplaincy team of Baptist Housing back in March of 2021 and has been serving residents of Shannon Oaks in Victoria, British Columbia. Gary has served for three six years in pastoral ministry, with the past 29 of those years as the pastor of the Victoria First Church of the Nazarene. Gary has some special experience with death and grief in his background, which he'll share a little about with you now which gave me, and hopefully you as well, a deeper look into what it means to serve those who are dealing with death and grieving. Um, I pastored a local church, local churches, two churches in my uh, career, uh, one for seven years in uh, Rocky Mountain House, Alberta. Right. And then the past, uh, well, the, the last uh, 29 years were at uh, here in uh, Victoria. Wow. And um, with the same congregation for that 29 years. Yeah. So, you know, pretty, pretty, feel pretty blessed to have had uh, that length of experience in one congregation where we were able to establish some pretty deep ties with, uh, with families in all different kinds of circumstances of their lives. Yeah, that's a long time. Yeah, maybe too long for someone to say. But it was a, a really a great blessing because you know, our our children were really raised during those years, and uh, and it was a church community that nurtured them, and we felt very very uh, nurtured by that congregation. Yeah. Did you always know you wanted to be a pastor? No, um, I. It was actually after I graduated from college. Um, I had a, a business. I had a, a my degree in business administration and economics. And, um, and at the time I was working in a, in a funeral home when I was in college. And, uh, and I thought um, just because that's what I had had experience in that, that might be what I would end up doing. So I ended up serving, serving a, a full apprenticeship as a, as a mortician. Really? And, uh, and with all that that entailed, <laughs> and um, and it wasn't until the summer after I graduated from college that I felt a pretty distinct call to uh, vocational ministry. Hmm. I think you're the only person I have ever met in my whole 46 years on this planet that, <laughs> that was uh, working in that field of being, it was a mortician? Yeah, so I worked. Uh, I started out as a night attendant when I was going to college. Yeah, I started out as the night attendant. So my my bedroom was actually down in the basement of the funeral home. 
Oh. And, um, and so I stayed there all night and then I would, I would go to school during the day. And then eventually it, it kind of led to more uh, exposure in, in the industry there. And I ended up, you know, serving as an apprentice mortician, yeah. being on call at, at nights and, and, and then working during the day after, after school. Um, but, um, and then, and then when I went to, um, seminary, um, I needed a part-time job to help me, you know, through, through my schooling there. And so I ended up, because I had an experience there, I ended up working in another funeral home as a funeral director during mm-hmm. those, those years I was in seminary. Wow. So see, for me, when you say those things, and I first learned of your experience in that field back a couple of months ago when we had a, a like a team breakfast meeting with, with the regional group of chaplains here in Victoria. And I heard you speaking about it and instantly just thinking about, you know, these conversations I've been having with a couple of other chaplains for the podcast about grief and about uh, walking with people who are grieving and who are nearing death. To me, that's, that's a subject that, like I was sharing with you at the beginning, it's a really hard one for me. I don't, I feel very, well, unexperienced for sure, but sometimes I just don't know how to navigate through that very well. Like, I feel like I don't know what to say sometimes or how to be the best representative of Jesus to those people. And um, so I, when you when I heard you sharing about that, I thought, oh man, I got to talk to Gary about this. I'm sure he'll have, he'll have some very good insights for for all of us because yeah. I know that I know. Uh, and while I know you said that you don't consider yourself an expert, and I'm not trying to 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 put you up on in that kind of a space, I think that we all can learn from from each of us. You know, the things that we've experienced and what we've learned, and and I know that there are other chaplains on our team who are probably feel the same way as I do like ah a fish out of water so to speak when it comes to this sort of ministry and, yeah um, I think we all want to learn how to do it yeah uh, better well there's a lot of discomfort you know around the whole topic of death and bereavement and even when people are close to death yeah. and um, and I found that you know those experiences you know I worked in so I worked in a funeral different funeral homes for a period of 10 years while I was going, while I was going to school. And that certainly um, helped me overcome a lot of uh, the discomfort. But Aaron, to be honest with you, uh, even today, as I am with a family that is going through these, this kind of an experience of bereavement, person maybe going through palliative care, there still is a sense of inadequacy. Hmm. And so, I think there needs to almost be a, uh, an embracing of that feeling of inadequacy yeah. um, to know that each situation is different. The family, the family, the individual, their circumstances are unique to them. Yeah. yeah, there are some commonalities, but they're unique to them. And so when you go into the, when I go into those situations, I still to this day feel a sense of inadequacy and a need to really rely on the help and guidance of the Lord um, in 
in ministering to um, people in these kinds of situations. I think that's a great answer. And you, you made me remember something that Jackie shared when, when we were talking about this as well. And she says, you just got to, you're just going to sit in the, in the uncomfortableness of it. And it's just part of the, part of that experience. Right. Yeah. yeah. But we're not, we're, I don't feel like I'm good at doing that sometimes. Well, and, and this is where, you know, a lot of it is, um, you know, we don't know, I think primarily we don't know what to say sometimes. Mm. What are the words that I need to speak, you know, what are the profound things that I can, and how can, and, and us being in the kind of the profession of fixing things, how can I fix this? And you realize there's no, there's no fix to this. Yeah. And, and there's no words, you know, that, that we, that are really adequate for the situation. And what is key here, and this is the great genius of chaplaincy is to be present, yeah. just to simply be present and and not necessarily to have the words. I've gone, you know, walked with people who have been, who had faced incredible tragedy and been in, in the midst of it with them and felt completely um, without words. I think of those, uh, I think of that verse in, uh, in the Christmas story where, um, you know, the mothers of Bethlehem who had lost their children hmm. um, tragically. Uh, it, the, the, there's a phrase in that text that says that they refused to be consoled. Yeah. Their grief was so great that there were no words that could even touch the pain that they were experiencing. And I think to have a recognition of that, that in, there are times when we're dealing with families that there are no words that can console, but, but being present uh, with them um, is, you know, I think, I think that's the, the key ingredient is just to be present with them and not to feel the pressure. I've got to come up with, with the profound answer from God yeah. that is going to make everything all right for them because it's not it doesn't happen that way you know these conversations i've been having with other chaplains who have been doing this far longer than i have certainly have been helpful but so often full of surprises i'm struck with how feelings of inadequacy seem to be common amongst us when it comes to serving those who are dealing with death there doesn't seem to be a time or a space where we feel comfortable with it, which encourages me because I realize that I'm not the only one who feels that way when I need to speak with someone who is grieving. I, I also appreciate the reminder that we really don't have anything much to offer anyone unless we are relying on the Lord for help. We certainly can't fix the situation. And we won't be able to say something that instantly makes everything better. But we are able to be there. And Gary pointed this out so well. Sometimes that is the most important thing we can offer someone who is grieving. Coming up next, I asked Gary to talk about some of the things he has learned over the years when it comes to ministering to those who are palliative or near death. Yeah, one... Um one of the first things that sticks out to me is that to help the 
acknowledge that they have their personhood, that they're not defined by their illness. They're not defined by their diagnosis, Um, that they are the same, that, you know, there's, that they're valuable and that there is a, uh, um, the, the, the disease doesn't define who they are. Yeah. And that they are still alive and that there is, um, something to be celebrated in that, um, on a day-to-day basis. And, and, but I think that obviously one of the things that we offer is the realization that they're not alone. Yeah. Uh, we, we commit ourselves to walk with them through this experience and that they know that they won't be in this, they won't be facing this alone, but we also help connect their community with them, whether it's other residents. Um, I'm, I'm seeing that here, you know, here in our, our facility here, how the residents really minister to each other mm. in incredible ways and comfort each other, um, but also with their families and with, and if they have their own faith communities, we can help facilitate those connections as well. But, you know, so I guess that they're not alone. They're not defined by their illness, by their diagnosis. And I think that help them to know that there's hope. Um, we ultimately, you know, as, as a Christian to, to point them to, to the hope that we have in Christ, the hope that even in this experience, there is the potential for, uh, for, for spiritual renewal. Mm-hmm. I think of that verse uh, that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4 when he says, even though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we can be renewed day by day. Yeah. And so to help people uh, see the potential of that spiritual renewal um, that can take place in, in, in their lives uh, during these critical days. And then ultimately to, to um, certainly not shy away from talking about the hope that we have of eternal life in yeah. Christ, that this life is not all that all there is. This section might have only taken a few minutes to listen to, but there were some big points for us to consider as we serve someone who is nearing death and has become palliative. The first big point is to be careful not to label them or see them as being a person with this or that illness, or to be careful even of not labeling them in our minds as being palliative. These people are still people. They still have needs, fears, and a hope. And they may still need to find hope if they have not been able to find any. In other words, What I took from this is to not let the word palliative come to mean my work here is over. There's nothing else I can do. As Gary pointed out, there is still an opportunity for them to find hope and new life in Jesus if they have not already. There still may be work that God is doing in their life that he may want to include us in. Following along that line of thought, that just because someone has become palliative doesn't mean that God stops working in their life. I asked Gary if he could share about a significant time where he saw God use him to help someone who had become palliative. I remember a good, very good friend of mine who was um, suffering with cancer. And 
um, it was it was brutal. Like every day, it seemed like there was a new loss. And yet, um, to and there were there were anxieties as well that were arising. And eventually, this uh, individual ended up in hospice. And uh, and he would have uh, kind of panic attacks at night, just worrying about it. And um, like worrying about what was happening in his body, or yeah, like worrying about yeah what. And I think what even tomorrow would would bring. Hmm. Part of that is was to help him live on a day to day basis. You know, like let's let's focus on on today. Let's focus on the fact that you're alive today, and we don't know what tomorrow may bring, may bring. But the fact that there's something to you know acknowledge in life today. But I mean, I, I made him an offer. I and I didn't do. I haven't done this with everyone, but I made him an offer that if he was in the in the middle of the night, if he was really struggling and he couldn't sleep, um, to have the hospice nurses give me a call. And, and I said, it doesn't matter what, whatever time it is, of day or night, um, have them call me and I'll come and I'll read scripture to you. Mm. <laughs> and I did that. And he called me at two, two in the morning one time. And I remember going down there. It was the only time it happened. He only did it once. Yeah. And I went down there and um, I just remember just reading uh, scripture to him. And you know, for about maybe half hour, 45 minutes, and he drifted off to sleep. And I just kind of quietly left. Yeah. And I didn't know if that, you know, made a difference or not. And we never even talked about it after that. Hmm. But at his funeral, and I never told anyone that I had done that. But at his funeral, his wife came to me and she, she told me how much that had meant to him and to her, because he had told her, you know, the whole the whole scenario. I, I thought I had done it, you know, in, in secret. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but I think for him, it was a loss. You know, like he had, he had lived, he used to live in Edmonton. He wanted to make one last trip to Edmonton. The illness progressed so rapidly, he wasn't able to go back. So he wasn't able to visit family. Then he lost his driver's license. He lost, you know, just one thing. And then he couldn't, he was a woodworker. He liked to work in his shop. I remember getting him out on a pass one time and, and helping him come home to work on his machinery one last time. Yeah. It was a scary, scary day because he was on morphine at the time. And I was just worried. <laughs> I was worried he was going to, do some do harm to his body working this machinery yeah. on, on that level of of uh, of pain medication. But uh, anyway, it was just like every day he there was one less thing he could do. Yeah, and then he couldn't eat and he couldn't drink. You know, and and so I I tried to help him with the realization that you get to the point where there's nothing more to lose and everything to gain to go to be with Jesus. Yeah. And that in these losses, yes, to celebrate every day and to celebrate the value of what is still there, to realize, okay, we're losing things here, but there's still so much more we have. I don't know if that's helpful uh, and may, may not be helpful to everyone, but it seemed for him he needed to know that. Yeah. 
that there were still things that did not focus on what he was losing, but on what he still had. But ultimately, we we came right to the brink where there was basically hardly anything left to lose and everything to gain to go to be with Jesus. Yeah. I really like that story. If you think about it, there wasn't anything grand or deeply spiritual that Gary did to serve his friend, other than make sure he knew that he was there for him. It just underscored for me that simple things, something as simple as being there, as reading a passage of scripture to someone who is troubled, can have an important impact on their life and on the lives of those around them. Just being there is sometimes the most important thing we can do, isn't it? In our next segment, I ask Gary to talk about ministering to someone in the final stages of life who may not share that common faith in Christ that we heard about just a few moments ago. How can you be helpful and minister to someone who may not be a follower of Jesus yet? Yeah, there certainly is still the value of being there present with them. You know, if, if, a, if an individual, one of our residents, is not a person of faith or a person of another faith, um, just being present with them we can still share the love of Christ with them just because that's what we're called to embody and come alongside them to be of help and comfort to them Uh, in, you know, whether or not we are asked to do a service, you know, conduct a, a service for that individual or with, with the cooperation of the family, is another thing, but he, I've done a lot of funerals for families that had no faith. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's still a great privilege to be able to bring the comfort and the, and the love of God into that situation. Um, you know, even in the use of the, the mo- probably the most familiar passage of scripture of all, Psalm 23, to be able to help people realize that there is the promise of God, whether they receive that or not, there is still the promise of God uh, to them that even though they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that they don't need to fear any evil, that God will be there to walk with them as well. So we bring the presence of God into that, into those situations. And I have found that those situations have been uh, many times opportunities for people to draw closer to God because the families and the friends are thinking about their own mortality at that time. And we can come without, without a, um, you know, we can come with a, with a great deal of grace um, to, and hopefully embody the, the love of Christ to them in those moments. And I know this wasn't one of the questions I sent you, but have, do you have a, a memory or an experience where you did, where you were able to do that with a family who were not followers of Christ, where you oh. feel like you were able to connect and represent Jesus well with them? Yeah, that's um, interesting. I mean, I have one that comes immediately to mind. Um, I hope it's not too long of a story here, but um, 
and and it's not related really to my chaplaincy work here. Yeah. Um, uh, but um, when I was early on in my pastoral ministry, um, I was um, I was asked to do a funeral for a man who was an alcoholic, and he was a rig oil oil rig worker, real rough. Ran around with a pretty rough crowd. And um, as a result of being drunk one day, um, he fell and he hit his head on the curb and it created a slow brain bleed. And a few days later, he died and he was in his about, I think, in mid mid 40s. And his wife came and she said, uh, we could you do the, the service? I'd never met this man. I'd never met the wife before, but I was pastoring in a small town and they wanted someone to do the service and so she told me this story about how rough of a character he was he was in bar fights all the time he had all scars all over his face and and um he it was it was a joke with him and his friends that when they would go across the border into the states you know when they cross the 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 go through the border guards there that he was such a rough character, rough looking character, yeah. that they always had him pull over and they went through the whole car, searched the whole, tore everything apart yeah. to make sure he wasn't bringing any contraband across the border. And it got to be a big joke with the, with the, with his friends. They'd all laugh about this at the time. So she says, could you tell that story in the funeral? <laughs> okay. <laughs> usually, usually my approach was, you know, I would do kind of the obituary, eulogy, biographical sketch. I'd tell a few of these stories. Then we'd sing a hymn and then I'd get to the preaching part. But as I was preparing, I thought, you know, this is pretty interesting. Uh, this will fit right in with what I felt like the Lord was asking me to bring to that community. And the day of the funeral, the place was packed. And these rig workers, they came in their clothes. You know, they were like all blue collar workers. And and I started uh, telling this story in the message part at the end of the message. And I said, uh, um, you know, the, talked about this man. And they were all laughing, like it, it, just with the tension, you know, the, the emotional tension that was in the room already when i started telling this story they just started roaring with laughter at this you know because that was this that was who this man was and and i and i said you know folks um the the day is coming when we're all going to have to cross customs and it's not going to be a random check and for some you know it will be you know, Jesus will say, I don't know you. And others, he'll say, well done. And so, you know, like this man, he, his destiny is already in God's hands. Yeah. We leave that with God. But our destiny is still in our hands. And if we can take anything from this life and from this moment. And, you know, it was a pretty amazing I, you know, I didn't, I'm not one to do altar calls at, at a funeral. I think it's inappropriate to do that. But to, to have a moment where people could 
respond. And during that week, there were several that contacted me and said, I want to, I want to know more about what you've, and the family was great. You know, like I, I was, I was a bit worried about how, how I would do this mm-hmm. and how it would come across. But it was one of those moments in my ministry where I just felt like God was there and yeah. he used me in that situation to bring hope to people, even though the individual, you know, from all appearances did not have a, make a person, but who knows? I mean, I don't know that. He was right. in a coma for four days. Yeah. And, and I share with families that, you know, God's not, you know, there, there's no spiritual handicap other than what sin does in our lives. Yeah. But even though our ability to communicate, our ability, you know, it to, to articulate things may be diminished. That doesn't hamper God's spirit from reaching out to that person's spirit. So anyway, that, that might be, you might want to edit that. That that was a great story. (laughs) Along the lines of where you're going or not, but, uh, but that, that was, but there are other times as well, just to be a comforting presence to the family, even though they have no faith. Um, there usually is a receptivity at at a time of impending death or even after death. There is a, a an openness for people to uh, respond uh, to the grace of God. Yeah, I really appreciated these stories, and I hope you did too. And I just wanted to draw two points that are especially sitting with me that Gary mentioned. It's at these times when death is near or soon after, that people are often open and receptive to hearing or at least thinking about God. And people often consider their own mortality in times like these. It may not be time to give an altar call, but I appreciated the reminder that even those who don't consider themselves a person of faith, at some point may find themselves wondering if there might be something else. And often those times happen when death is near. It's so important and challenging to me to be seeking to try my best to be listening and sensitive to what God is doing in these people's lives, especially in these difficult moments when they are facing the death of a loved one. I don't have to try to come up with the right words. That's simply not possible. But I do need to be learning how to listen to what God might have me share as I am with them. Up next, we'll talk about some of the things that Gary has found helpful to do And what questions would he be asking the family of someone who had recently passed away in order to effectively prepare for a celebration of life or a funeral? So I guess some of the things that I've heard was being careful to hear who that person is, the one who has passed away, to hear from the family, you know, tell me about this, your loved one, or the one who is part of your family, if there's not much love there. Yeah. Or, uh, and also I've heard you saying a couple of times throughout our, our talk of just how important it is to sometimes just be there. Yeah. And um, I think that's that, valuable. That's a critical point, Aaron, um, because particularly if, if we're helping the family of a, 
of a loved one who's passed away. And if they want us to put together a memorial service or a celebration of that person's life, um, it has to be about that person. And one of the things I learned when I was working in funeral homes, you know, I, I would uh, oftentimes I would we'd have the uh, the funeral procession after the funeral going out to the cemetery. And I would be uh, driving the limousine that would with the family in it. And so right after the the service, they're in the car. They don't know who I am. Yeah. But I'm listening as they as they're talking, and they're critiquing the service. Yeah. And one of the the mo- the most common negative critiques was that the pastor didn't even mention his name. Wow. And I remember working in the funeral home, and some pastors that would come in. It was the day before the days before the prevalence of computers. Right. But. The, the the minister would come in with the with whiteout that old <laughs> liquid. Yeah, I remember whiteout. <laughs> whiteout, and he's whiting out the last name uh, of his last service, the name of the la- the last person he did a funeral for, and he's writing in the name of the person, and so it's just a cookie cutter approach. And if if we take the time. And, you know, the thing about chaplaincy is we know our, we get to know our residences. We're living, we're, we're ministering in their homes. Yeah. And, and we get to know them. And the, the best thing that we can do is we can, we can help the families celebrate their lives, make the service as personal as possible. And obviously, through those stories, you can weave them into a gospel message, a message of hope. Yeah. But you, you're not, we, don't, we don't get there unless, we, unless the message is personal and, and strongly related to the individual whose life we're celebrating. Yeah. And so taking the time to know that person and, and then to meet with the family uh, prior to the celebration of life or the memorial service, um, that's critical to, I think, to the success of helping a family through that time. Yeah. Are there are there questions that you feel were important for you to be asking the family about about this their loved one, like in order to be able to prepare your memorial? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I would. Basically, what I would do is sit in a room with the family, uh, and oftentimes I try to meet them on their home turf. Um, they, there's the, meeting them in their own home. You know, I didn't bring them into my office, but meeting them on their on their turf is really important. Just giving them an opportunity to share, uh, make statements that would. Um, capture the spirit of that person's life. Um, But, you know, a lot of times they're telling humorous stories, poignant stories. Um, They're all relevant. And, and then I just, you know, sometimes you don't even have to ask questions. You get interaction, you know, you get grandchildren and, and the children are all participating and I'm just sitting there writing notes. Yeah. 
Hmm. And most of it is usable. Yeah. Um, and, and just a matter of then piecing it together, uh, you know, a certain framework. But yeah, I've, I've used different frameworks, you know, different passages of scripture that lend itself to that, you know, for a Christian, you know, the, what Paul says, I fought a good fight, finished the race, kept the faith. You know, those are, there's a, there's three good points there and you can fill it in with examples of that person's life that fit into each of those categories. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there are ways, but making it personal, the, the, the celebration of, we call it a celebration of life or memorial service. We want, we want it certainly to, I mean, there are three, three reasons basically that we gather together for a, a memorial service. One is to celebrate that person's life. Second is, is for them to know that they're not alone. They have their family members and their friends with them. And then third, that they would know that, that the presence of God is there with them as well, that, that he's there to walk with them through the valley of the shadow of death. Well, thank you, Gary. I, I feel like we, we could just keep going <laughs> on this, but, uh, well, this has definitely been very, very helpful. And, um, well, I, I sure appreciate the opportunity to visit with you today, Aaron, on this. And uh, again, I don't feel in any way, I feel I have so much more to learn from those of you who have served in chaplaincy a uh, lot, lot longer than I have. And you have a lot to teach me. And I just appreciate the work that you're doing and the spirit with which you with which you offer that, that service to, to the Lord and to these residents. Well, thank you, Gary. And likewise, like I could definitely hear your heart and your love for the people that you serve. And uh, I'm excited to be able to continue to learn from you because I'll probably hit you up for other conversations in the future. <laughs> well, let's do it. I'd love to do that. All right. Well, God thank you again, you. Gary. Take I'm care.